A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maybe. Concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 404. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are continuing our discussion about Bagpuss. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Yes, we are with the classic BBC children's show from 1974, just 13 episodes, 15 minutes each. A charming mixture of stop-motion animation, some puppetry like hand puppetry, some animated drawings, and it produces one of the most memorable, one of the best-remembered and most-loved children's television shows of all time here in the UK. So there's some stuff to talk about, Brian. Yes, absolutely. In each episode, we see a lost item that... This girl, Emily, has found, and these animated toy characters examine this item and usually restore it or repair it. And as they do so, they get into stories and usually sing a folk song or tell a story speaking and get into some European legends, at one point even a bit of Chinese history. And these are animated with these stop-motion figures and some of these drawings by Peter Furman as well. And there's a lot of music in this show, and they used the English folk duo of Sandra Kerr and John Faulkner who worked with Postgate and Furman to write the songs. And of course, when you've got a folk duo, they're going to be influenced by a lot of existing folk songs, some bits and pieces of music that already sort of went with some of these stories that they were taught telling. But also there's one particular piece of music that comes up in the show that's based on a much older piece of music, Brian. Yes, absolutely. So the, the folk duo does a lot of nice things with sort of English folk music and it all you know it works well with largely things that they've written but in quite traditional folk styles but then you have the mice these mouse characters who sing a couple of different songs but one in particular is closely based on Sumer is Ikumanin which is a very early piece of English part music that is sung in around it's a very early example of that it's something that if you study music history or uh, study music it's often a piece that is noted that you learn about and they used it not with exactly the same music but very close to turn into the music that these mice were singing when they would repair something it's a wonderful little song that mice sing about, we will fix it, we will mend it. And it's based on, as you say, this old English 
song round. Just explain to us, Brian, what what is a round, as it were, in terms of choral music? Oh, it's the idea, and it's sometimes referred to as a canon, which is slightly different, but it's the idea of one singer or group of singers starts singing a line, and then slightly later, a second group enters singing the same line, but a few beats later, and then often a third or a fourth even. And you end up with harmonies and things being generated, even though you only have one line of music, but the offset between them generates chords and things. And that's what they were doing here. And it was based on this very, very early example and is something that we see in slight variations of lyrics, depending on the episode. And it's based on that sort of structure of singing the same thing, but with different timing. Fascinating. I thought this uh, this particular section would be of special interest to you, Brian, your interest in choral music? Well, it is one of the few cases of, you know, a quite early piece of music showing up in different things like this and different productions. Not only was it here, much earlier it was used in The Adventures of Robin Hood in 1938, the famous Errol Flynn film. It was used in the opening ceremony of the 1972 Munich Olympics apparently. And it was also quite notably used in the 1973 film The Wicker Man and probably was tied to more people's nightmares in that use than in any of the others. Indeed. And I suspect, you know, you'd come across the piece of music before, Brian, but for me, uh, I suspect the first place I'd heard it was in The Wicker Man. And I was stunned to find that this same piece of music was used as the basis of the mice song in uh, Bagpuss. You know, along with the Bertrand Russell inspiring Professor Yaffle, it's a little great little note from uh, this the production of this show. Yes, absolutely. And perhaps because a year earlier it had been used in The Wicker Man, and perhaps because of the sepia-toned black and white photographs to open and close the episodes, or the interest with stories from the past, with lost objects, with telling their stories and folktales, it's one of the reasons that Bagpuss often gets mentioned in the study of something called hauntology. And for those who don't know, hauntology is the sort of the examination of particularly popular culture from the 60s and 70s and how they interact with the past, how they interact with aspects of folk horror, how they deal with this sort of concept of the strange and uncanny. And it seems, you might seem a little bit odd to have a children's show mixed in with discussions about things like the Wicker Man or the strange public information films of the 70s. But it is mentioned in some of these texts. And I find this subject of hauntology strange, but again, very quirky and interesting, Brian. Yes, it does seem odd to have that included, but it's interesting that it shows up in that way. Do get in touch if you uh, have a particular interest in hauntology and can explain to me a little bit more about Bagpuss's inclusion there. 
I'll perhaps mention another television show that is currently on our screens and is perhaps slightly safer territory for us than the uh, the weird world of hauntology, Brian, and that is the extremely successful BBC show The Repair Shop, which is currently in its, I don't know, maybe 10th series, I think, at the moment. And if you don't know this show, what happens is people will bring damaged old objects to the repair shop where skilled craftsmen repair them but it also the items have all got a story and the people who bring them to the shop will tell the story of their family and their connections with this item and I know I'm not the first person to have pointed this out but it does seem uh, almost like the real version of Bagpuss and what Bagpuss was doing with these broken old lost items, putting them back together again, telling their stories and then putting them back on display. Oh, that's lovely. That's a great connection. So Bagpuss only had the 13 episode. It adds up to, I guess, a three and a quarter hours of television, no more. They didn't make any more series, but we know the BBC repeated it and repeated it. It was very warm and safe and comfortable viewing for its young audiences. And we know it's had a lasting impact and legacy of the show. And we're going to talk about a few of the sort of notable moments in the sort of legacy of this show. We'll start in 1987 when the creators, Peter Furman and Oliver Postgate, were both awarded honorary degrees by the University of Kent. And of course, in his acceptance speech, Oliver Postgate said that this honorary degree really belonged to Bagpuss. And so... (laughs) Not long after this ceremony, the puppet of Bagpuss was uh, photographed wearing academic robes and and a cap. And I think you can find that picture on the internet. And it's charming, of course, Brian. Of course, it would have to be available online. In 1999, the show was voted the best BBC children's show, which is a big deal. There have been so many children's series from the BBC and very good ones. And it also placed fourth in the Channel 4 poll for the best children's shows of all time. That was a poll from 2001. And the top three were The Simpsons, The Muppet Show, and Danger Mouse. So behind only those was Bagpuss. Astonishing. Also, the folk singers, Sandra Kerr and John Faulkner, who were the voices and musicians on the show, they toured and performed the songs that they did on Bagpuss. And even the Radiohead singer, Tom York, cites them as an influence with one of the band's songs on Hail to the Thief being directly inspired by Gabriel the Toad. Wow. I don't think we've mentioned Radiohead before on this podcast, Brian. I don't think we have. (laughs) Of course, we've also got the original Bagpuss puppet, which thankfully survives the wonderful pink and white striped baggy old cloth cat coming apart at the seams a bit is now on display in the Beanie House of Art and Knowledge in Canterbury, in Kent, near to where the series was produced. If you've been to that museum, or if you go to that museum, please take us a picture of Bagpuss and send it to us or put it on the Facebook page. Yes, absolutely. That would be lovely. And of course, if there are spin-offs from the shows we cover, we like to mention them. For Bagpuss, pretty much most things that you can imagine. There were, of course... Soft toys for some of the main characters, including a Bagpuss doll. 
There were storybooks, there were Christmas annuals, Bagpuss is featured on a postage stamp, along with other key British te- children's television characters. Many more. There's lots of stuff that you can find looking out for items about Bagpuss. Yeah, there are all sorts of things that are still available if you search online. And in 1999, there was a CD of the songs, of all of the songs, I think, from the series by Curran Faulkner. So that was released as well. Fantastic. I mean, I haven't tracked that down or tried to listen to it, but I can imagine the legacy of these folk songs themselves is quite impactful. For sure. So I think we should get into some of our own thoughts about this. So, Eamon, what did you like about Bagpuss? I'm sure our listeners can tell from my level of excitement that I like everything about Bagpuss. I think it is just wonderful and charming. I'm absolutely fascinated by this idea of the small films production studio in an old cow shed on a farm in Kent. And this wonderful family, I think, as I said last time with Clangers, this sort of cottage industry they produced to make these wonderful shows. It's going to be difficult for me to pick out individual moments. So let me turn it back to you, Brian. Let me say, what did you like about Bagpuss? Well, there were a few things, but I think what stands out is the music. I thought the work that Kerr and Faulkner did as, as musicians with fitting in songs into it, I thought that was lovely. I thought that was a really nice aspect of this. Yes, I, th- I was interested to know what you thought about the music, because obviously it is uh, a very very special part of this show. Faulkner and Kerr have sort of toured with the music and recorded it on CDs. And that fascinating link back to a very old English piece of music that the round is is absolutely uh, intriguing to know about. So yeah, I was I wondered what you think about the music. Um, it is pretty good, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I also like the stop motion work with the characters in the shop itself, the sort of main characters. I thought the visuals for them were all good with the the mice and Bagpuss himself and so on. I particularly like Gabriel the Toad, actually. Gabriel the Toad is a great piece of work, done as a sort of live action, almost as you say, hand puppet I like all of them. I like Yaffle, I like the mice, I like Madeline, I love Bagpuss. I was actually slightly surprised to see that I hadn't quite remembered how much there were other animation techniques used. So going back to some of their simpler drawn animations for the folk stories within the story, although some of them are also stop motion puppets and so on, and also for Bagpuss's sort of thought images that Bagpuss can produce as well. So there's quite a, there's a range of animation techniques here, which is interesting. I don't know, did you like all of those, Brian? Uh, it varied. They were, uh, they were pretty good. The ones that matched up with the stories and the songs and Bagpuss thinking things, I thought those kinds of things worked quite well. Okay. I'll just mention Oliver Postgate's narration and his voices. And again, much like his narration for Clangers, one of the voices of British childhood is Oliver Postgate. And I just think he does remarkable work here. And again, from what you hear about him and read about him, he just seems like a remarkably charming character himself, both him and Peter Fermin doing this wonderful stuff. Okay. 
Shall we talk about a couple of negative points here? Yes, I think we have to. I mean, we have to talk about the bits that didn't quite work. And I suspect there are moments that didn't work for you quite so well, Brian. Yes. And of course, this is another thing where this is a series that I did not grow up with. I only saw it recently. And the biggest issue for me is the amount of repetition. Yes. Because the opening sequence and the closing sequence sequence are the same every time with the same narration same visuals and they add up to over three minutes and the episodes are a little less than 15 minutes so you have a large chunk of the episode you know something like 20% of the episode or more is the same thing every time that's being repeated and for episodes that are that are this short i think that's really too much and i think that was a problem and this is partly because you know i'm watching this on a dvd and going through them at my own pace and you see things coming up a lot when you do it that way if you were watching them once a week, maybe it would be less pronounced and it wouldn't be quite as obvious. Yes, I mean, I think one of the charming aspects for its child audience at the time was the repetition, that they knew that they would learn some of the words, they would learn some of the songs. They, there are people who will still recite Emily's magic rhyme that she uses to wake Bagpuss. So, you know, it was part of, I guess, in a way, the design to be comforting and re repetitive for children to produce a certain familiarity. Watching it as an adult, you do sort of notice immediately. It's like, goodness, they just do the same stuff and again and again. And the mice sing the same song. And then we switch to the, the folk story and then we're back to the same ending as each time. So, yes, the repetition elements do look a bit strange to adult eyes don't they yes the mouse organ they often have the same bit introducing the mouse organ repeatedly in the middle of the episode somewhere too so there's an awful lot that's repeated in there this is unusual for me, but I would have liked to have omnibus versions of this so I could, you know, instead of having it in, I think it was 13 episodes, if I could have it in, you know, maybe two or three or four long episodes where you only have that opening and closing once in each. Usually, I much prefer the original episodes, but in this case, I think that would have helped make it easier to look at. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. What about when they switched to like the hand-drawn animation? Did you find that a problem? Did you would you have preferred to be back in the shop window with the three D characters when they do it for the stories and things like that? I thought it worked okay. The Black and white photos for those opening and closing bits, I didn't think worked quite as well. They were okay, but I didn't think they worked as well as the other things in there. Okay. And again, that's tied to the, to the repetition. If I were seeing the black and white sepia images with different ones each time, then I might have had a different take on that. So if we'd been able to slice out those three minutes for episode, we probably could have got this whole thing down by about 40 minutes for you and just giving you the stories yeah well this is the other thing is that because they're using this idea of examining these objects 
it's interesting, but there's no story to each episode. They have these little inserts where they'll give you a song or they'll tell a story about something else. But as a whole, the show really doesn't have stories to it. You know, it isn't a, it isn't a show that has a story. And that was something that I also felt was a little bit lacking, especially when you had these characters, these interesting characters. Do you think it would work for a more modern audience, the strange combination of folk song, black and white moments, some 2D drawn animation? How would you think that would manage with this a, a young audience now? It's a good question. I think it needs a very young audience. Right. And if you're showing it to young kids, then maybe, yeah. And, you know, if you choose to show one episode of this and then show something else rather than, you know, showing two or three episodes of this at once to make it a longer thing, then, yeah, maybe maybe it would. But I think it really is something for young children. I think it really has to be. If I probably know the answer to this, but would you prefer Clangers to Bagpuss yourself? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I enjoyed the Clangers much more than this. Right. It did have stories and what it did with the characters and the sort of interesting little things they were doing along the way i really enjoyed that i thought that was quite clever and i think it works in a broader way than this does okay excellent well let's get to our recommendations then i think brian shall i go first this time why don't you go first well our listeners know what i'm gonna say bagpuss is so wonderful it is so redolent of british childhood television and it is so cheap to watch as well that i'm going to recommend Bagpuss. I think you should watch it. I think you should sit down your child or grandchild with it and watch them watch it with them. And if you do have experience of watching it with a young audience now, then please let us know how you got on. I love Bagpuss. It just takes me to a magical place. Oliver Postgate's voice, the songs, and hearing the mice sing, the marvellous mechanical mouse organ is wonderful. So I'm going to recommend it. Crossing over to you, Brian, what are you going to say about it? I am not going to recommend this. It is nice as a nostalgia piece, or perhaps for very young children. I think maybe the music recording, that CD from 1999, and I don't know what the availability is on that, but that's something that I, that I might recommend because I think the, the music was quite good. But no, I would not recommend this series with the amount of repetition and being something that is not story-based. I don't think it works well enough for me to uh, to give this a recommendation okay but as ever if you agree or disagree with our takes please get in touch and let us know absolutely so in summary bagpuss introduces us to this strange shop that belongs to a girl called emily where things that she has lost are placed so that their owners can find them and the things that are placed there are examined by this group of toy characters that come to life when Emily recites this magical rhyme. So we have the stuffed cat Bagpuss looking at things along with 
this carved woodpecker, Mr. Yaffle, and these mice and their marvelous mouse organ, along with a duo of a ragdoll and a toad offering us a variety of songs and storytelling. Fabulous stuff. And please come back and join us next time. We're doing our yearly spin-off review where we look at something that spun off one of the shows we have covered. And this time we're going to be doing some audio. We're going to discuss the Calder City stories, the audio dramas from Magic Bullet. Some, I think, six stories to talk about next time, Brian. That's right. And it's unusual because it's an unofficial spin-off without the BBC license. And unofficially, it's a spin-off of both Doctor Who and Blake 7. And we'll talk a lot more about how that works next time. Interesting stuff. Until then, you can find us at BritishInvaders.com, or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there. And if you look for us on Twitter, we are at BritInvadersPod. So please join in with the discussions, especially on Facebook and also on Twitter. Yes, drop by the socials and tell us what you thought about Bagpus. And also drop by the Voice of Geeks Network at VogueNetwork.com. Voice of Geeks for podcasts, for gaming, for Twitch streaming, for all sorts of entertainment at vognetwork.com. So thank you for listening, and this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much for being with us. Until next time, it's Eamon in England, and I'm feeling sleepy.